enter the Ebony Tower podcast, a resource, conversation, and community for and by brilliant yet underrecognized and underrepresented scholars of color. This episode is sponsored by Topcoat. Topcoat believes that bold nails are for bosses, so they create bold, beautiful shades that work for the classroom, the office, and even the beach. As an added plus, all Topcoat polish is carcinogen-free, vegan, and paraben-free. Topcoat is proud to be a woman-owned and Black-owned business, so visit their website at www.taupecoat.com. Again, that's www.taupecoat.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Ebony Tower. This is Daphne. And this is Rachel. And today we have another installment of Tales from the Tower. Our guest today is named Keisha, and she will open up and share her tale about managing depression and navigating difficult academic relationships in graduate school. Keisha, the mic is yours. Hi, my name is Keisha, and I will be telling you guys a story about depression and grad school. So I actually has, I've been to grad school twice, um, you can say. I did my master's first. And I waited uh, a couple of years before I did my PhD. And I think in both instances, um, I dealt with depression differently. And navigating a grad school process through depression differently. Um, When I was doing my master's, I was in my early 20s. I was young. Um, I didn't think therapy was something for me. And I didn't even realize that that was part of a, that was part of something that I can get at school. So I just didn't even think about that. Um, so I kind of just pushed it out of my mind and tried to work through it. Of course it didn't work. Um, it really came about once I had to do my thesis and I had a, a professor who was my advisor Um, I won't mention names, but uh, we didn't have the best relationship. And that affected me to the point that I could not uh, finish on time. And even worse off, um, my thesis, I felt, was below subpar. Depression has always made me procrastinate, I guess you can say, for lack of a better term. And I'm not going to say procrastinate because I think, I think that's sort of the scapegoat that a lot of people rely on when people don't do their work on time. I would say that it sort of paralyzed me from doing my work. I felt like I sat on greatness in terms of what I was researching And I just felt like I wasn't the person to do it or better yet. I felt like I was the person to do it, but I wasn't good enough to actually achieve it, let's say. So um, it paralyzed me a lot. And my advisor wasn't really as helpful. When I went to her office to talk about my thesis, um, she asked me if I had been working on it. And I told her no, because I didn't know that I was supposed to start. I didn't know anything about a thesis process. And she told me that if I remember this being a Thursday and she told me that if I wasn't going to have it done by 
that Tuesday night, the following Tuesday night, so Thursday to Tuesday, I wasn't going to graduate, that I would have to wait another semester. So mind you, I did not start my thesis at all. I was freaking out. Um, I didn't know what to do. So I just sat down and um, I think I maybe got four hours of sleep that whole was that four or five days? All I did was cry, drink green tea, and eat blueberries because I was told that that helped with uh, focusing since I didn't drink coffee. So I sat and I tried to write a thesis, and I'm pretty sure, as you all can guess, it did not go well. I got maybe four very shitty chapters done, and when I went back and I emailed her and I was like, look, uh, if you give me until Friday, I could have the rest of the chapters done. Um, Just, you know, give me a chance. And she said, no, just come into my office. So I went to her office and she was like, I told you, if you don't have a good thesis, something that I can work with done by this time, you are not going to be graduating this semester. So I sat there and I cried in her office and she for two seconds told me, um, you know, it's okay. It's grad school. Not everybody graduates on time. That's not the point of grad school. It's just making sure things are done. And I think after about 20 minutes of crying, she tells me, okay, you need to stop crying now. And I remember just like, trying to stifle back my tears, trying to make it work. And I couldn't. So we ended up working on my thesis after that. I don't think she ever knew this, but for me personally, the damage was already done. I mean, I tried to put something of quality out and I personally don't think it was of quality. I mean, I had good ethnographic stories to tell and I told those ethnographic stories well, but, um, Any methodology, any theoretical perspectives behind those good ethnographic stories were null and void. So, yeah, my thesis came out. It was a shitty thesis. I mean, some people liked it, I guess, for the stories. But for me, you know, something that brings a very uh, traumatizing point in my life. About a year later, I decided that I was going to apply to graduate school to a Ph.D. program. And when I went to talk back to my advisor, she told me that she would not write me a letter of recommendation until I can better my writing, basically. And by this point, my depression had sort of worsened a lot. Uh, So I went on on my own, asked someone else in the department if they can write a letter of recommendation for me, as well as some other professors. And I remember the first time I applied to NYU because I needed to stay in New York. Um, My parents weren't doing well health-wise, and I I wanted to be close to them. And I remember thinking that, okay, it won't be so bad if I don't have a letter of recommendation from my advisor. Like, you know, my my thesis I find was pretty shitty, but I did have some good comments from some people who read it, so maybe it's fine. Long story short, I did not get into NYU. I remember the day that I, I found out that I didn't get in. I was working with my mom in the city in Manhattan. I, I got the news right before we went to lunch. We decided to go for lunch. And I remember as we we're about to cross the street, um, I almost walked into oncoming traffic to try and end my life because at that point I figured that I wasn't worth it. Like there was nothing else for me to do. So I didn't tell anybody until I think maybe a day or so later what I was trying to do and what I tried to do. Um, obviously, I did not walk into oncoming traffic because I'm here talking. But I just remember thinking that that was sort of like the end point in my life. Um, 
because I didn't get in and it sort of just confirmed again that I wasn't worth it. I had nothing to contribute. I wasn't going to be anything. I kind of tried to work through it. I remember calling a suicide hotline that day, that night. And I don't know who was working there that night because the person was absolutely terrible. I remember him saying something like, I mean, why would you kill yourself? That's stupid. That's, that's not going to do anything. That's ridiculous. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that's something you really don't tell somebody who's on the verge of trying to commit suicide. Like, you really don't go them into kind of saying, oh, yeah, you think I'm stupid? Well, I'm going to show you. You know what I mean? So I, uh, I remember closing the phone and, you know, trying to talk to my parents about it. And for me, you know, I like to say this, and, and, and maybe this is a stereotype, but I feel like um, in the Caribbean, you know, my parents are from the Dutch Caribbean and in the Caribbean mental health is a really taboo thing. And, you know, my, my uncle committed suicide years before. And I remember trying to talk to my parents about it and it wasn't something that I felt was helpful. You know, it was more so like, Oh, well, you know, just think positive and, you know, things are going to get better. It's going to be fine. And it was something that I didn't want to hear at that point. Um, so, for the next four years after that, I applied to different PhD programs, got rejected from all of them. And finally, in 2011, no, not 2011, I would say 2013 into 2014, I applied to the program that I'm in right now, and I got in. So at that point, I mean, for a brief moment, I felt like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm worth it. Maybe maybe I'm, I'm good enough. Um, and one of the first things I decided to do once I entered into the program was go visit the counseling center and, and get a therapist there. And, you know, I didn't hold back. I, I told them everything about my suicides, my suicide attempts, uh, my depression, that I was never clinically diagnosed with depression or with anything. Um, and that that was something that I just needed to talk about. Um, so I've been in this program for four years. And for the four years, I have been going to the counseling center. Um, would I say it helps? Uh, I guess to an extent. I guess I'm still here. So, you know, it helps to talk from time to time. Um, but, you know, there are times where there's nothing that can be done that helps. Um, so that is something that, you know, I'm, I'm working on myself in terms of, uh, in terms of, let's say I, I, I joined a gym, you know, or, and working, doing half marathons, things to work out my body. Cause I feel like maybe if I just work out my body hard enough, it will kind of like take the mental pain away. Um, Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I, w I, I would say that um, my experience in graduate school now in terms of my mental health is not much better than it was during my master's. My personal experience with my advisor now, I would say is, is slightly better in terms of I don't feel that I'm... I'm 
getting something that's sort of uh, anxiety-inducing from him as opposed to my old advisor. But in terms of how I feel of, you know, we all have imposter syndrome, right? That's something that we all do have. Um, I would feel that that's still sort of there and that creeps up sort of at the worst times in terms of me feeling like I'm not worth it. I mean, thankfully I haven't had any suicide attempts lately or any real deep down thoughts of like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But, um, definitely, definitely visiting a therapist, you know, as much as I can or when they can, because thankfully in, in, at our university, uh, we can go as long as we want. We don't, we don't have to just, I know for some other universities, they, they sort of have a limit of how many sessions you can have. Thankfully we have unlimited ones. Um, but it also depends on their availability. So, you know, at the end of the semester, they are usually pretty booked. So I don't get to see my therapist for like two, three weeks. And in those two, three weeks, it's pretty tough. But thankfully, I have a good one who, you know, when she can, she can call, you know, she calls me or I call her and I can just sort of talk through some things. But um, yeah, I would say visit a therapist. You know, depression is real and grad school uh, the way I feel is I feel that grad school is designed to bring you down. And when you're, when you already have a mental health issue, um, grad school can literally be a life or death situation. So that's my story. Wow. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for sharing that real story with us. I know myself included and lots of people have, um, mental health issues that are exacerbated by graduate school. So thank you for that. I want to echo uh, Rachel in terms of just when I was taking in your story, I just appreciated your vulnerability to really show our listeners, some who may be graduate students, some who may be thinking about graduate schools, very real issues that lots of graduate students face. Similar to you, graduate school, it it gave me, I guess, the courage or I guess the experiences, tough experiences to where I actually felt like, wow, I need to go talk to someone. And that's so real. And I'm not the only one. I know at my school, so many people, people of color, decided to start counseling for the first time once they began graduate school. So I, you know, part of it could be a transition. Part of it be, could be because many people were walking around and we have these issues that we've never talked about or seen anyone for. And like Rachel said, these things can be exacerbated when you're put in a situation to where you may feel unsupported, to where you may be dealing with, like you said, imposter syndrome or may, maybe feeling like you don't belong. So I just really appreciate your vulnerability. And I feel your story, it, it was just so real. And it highlighted so many different things 
that come up for many graduate students throughout the doctoral process from mental health to imposter syndrome, you know, to crazy advising relationships or not necessarily healthy advising relationships. Um, And I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Of course. Um, So I was just thinking about how, Uh, For me, relationships, the relationships I've been able to create with people and, you know, in my graduate school, especially amongst women of color, have been really instrumental for me and um, just, you know, I guess given me a sense of like hope and support when I most needed it. And I just wanted to ask you about what other, um, other than, you know, receiving help and therapy has you been able to find some solace in during graduate school? And you talked about physical activity as well. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So for me, like I said, physical activity for me, because I was an athlete in high school and in undergrad, I also ran track as well. So that was something that, um, you know, I felt always helped me. I remember right before I started my master's program, I started doing capoeira. And I remember the feeling that that had given me, um, to, I don't know, really feel positive about myself and happy. So I did capoeira on and off, um, mainly because of funds. I know, as most of you know, graduate students don't get a lot of money. So, you know, I couldn't go to capoeira as much as possible. Um, So that's one of the reasons why I went back to running. It's a cheaper sport, I I should say. Uh, All you need is a pair of sneakers and some sort of workout clothes, and you're good to go. You don't have to pay a membership to anything. But... I think for me, one of the one of the things of support, mostly in you know, Rachel, you and I have spoken about this, was actually uh, going to the conference that I met you at CSA conference, and it was for me. I think the reason why that was such a big support, as opposed to uh, the AAAs, which is you know, for those who are not anthropologists, the American Anthropological Association, or uh, other bigger conferences was that it was because there were so many people of color there, especially graduate students of color. And that's something that I had never encountered before. I mean, when I was doing my master's, I was one of three, maybe people of color in my department. And, you know, we all had vastly different approaches to everything. I was cool with one of the people. Um, We were really cool, but it just never felt like, I just never felt close enough. Let's put it like that. Like, we were really cool, but it never felt like, yo, that's my dog. I'm going to go hang out with that person. You know, I can call that person up and then we can go and chill and discuss our issues with graduate school. Um, now, it's sort of the same thing. I am one of four and one of them just graduated, you know, <laughs> and one happens to be a really good friend and also my roommate. So that worked out pretty well that we can talk a lot about our issues Um, and there are many a nights where we are up until two, three o'clock in the morning, just discussing sort of how graduate school in general, as well as, you know, other things in our lives make us feel, because the reality is this, that graduate school is not the only thing that's going on in our lives. You know, a lot of us have other issues. Like for me personally, my mother had a stroke two years ago, you know, while I was in graduate school, my father has been perpetually six sick since the first time I was in graduate school. And, 
you know, I have to attend to that too. Like I, I can't just put that on hold and be like, ma, hold on with your stroke. Let me go focus on graduate school. Like that doesn't work for me, you know? So having a friend to talk to and also having other people of color to talk to and realizing that are that there are other people of color, like in anthropology, in graduate school in general, is just really sort of uh it was it was solace in a way. And it, it was the first time I remember the first time I've ever went to that conference where I met other graduate students of color. It was the first time where I felt like I could breathe a little bit and be like, okay, these people know what I'm going through. They know what it's like to be like the only person of color in your department. And, you know, just maybe, maybe they might not be, maybe they might not have depression or maybe they might not have that, but they know at least certain things that you can't necessarily talk to other people in your department about, let's say. So that was, that for me was sort of the big thing. So for anybody out there, it's like find that conference or find something where you can find other graduate students of color, because that, that, is, that is something that I felt saved me in a way in terms of making me feel like I can continue at graduate school. I, I would like to echo that. It is absolutely true. I know my advisor would get a little peeved with me because she felt that I was spending a lot of my free time um, being a member or being a leader in campus organizations dedicated to black students. But what she didn't understand is I needed that. Those meetings where I could meet and talk to other graduate students of color from different departments, that was time well spent because it was contributing to like my mental health in a in a good way. So I like to echo that. Do you does your campus have many, I guess, graduate student organizations of color that students can participate in? Is that something you did at all? Um I I didn't. There are here and there, but I want to say one just started up and then there was another in the Africology department and with them, I'm not entirely sure if they actually had an organization or if it was just like, yo, we as black folk in the graduate, you know, in graduate school need to stick together. You know, they would do things here and there. So they would, you know, they would invite me from time to time and go hang, to, to go hang out. But, um, yeah, I, I just actually wanted to, to add on to something that you said about it being so important to just sort of be around other graduate students of color, because for me, don't get me wrong, in my department, you know, we have a lot of quote unquote woke white people, you know, I, I feel <laughs> like the word woke is such a, such an overused term now, and it's not my favorite word to use, but for lack of a better term at this point, um, we have a lot of quote unquote woke white people in our department, right? But at the same time, no matter how woke they are, it's just they're never going to fully understand what you're going through, like really what you're going through. Like for instance, like when black Panther came out, you know, like, yeah, there's critiques about that movie. Of course there is. But for just, just for a, a small moment, I just wanted to revel in the fact that it was just a beautifully done film about blackness and black people just looking great. And there was one person in my department who 
you know, on the outside, you're not going to see as a person of color, whether she self-identifies as one or not, that's her. Um, but you know, she came straight up with a critique of like, oh, well, you know, I think they did a disservice to the black men of America. And it's a, you know, and with the Black Panthers itself, it was something terrible. And I was just like, not right now. Like, let me just enjoy black beauty, please. And she's like, no, but I mean, this is a very damaging thing to show black children. And I was just like, word, because you're black. You, you want to talk about black. You want to talk about blackness to a black person about what we should be showing black children right now like that's what you want to do and she's like I mean we don't have to be black to do and I was like you know what just let me just enjoy let me just enjoy how good Michael Bay Jordan looked on screen like let's just do that (laughs) (laughs) but that you know that's that's like I said like it, it doesn't matter how woke they are there's just certain times you just you just need to be around your people you know and and that's something that like I said finding solace with other graduate students of color who, who understand in a way what you're going through and not from an outsider perspective, but from an insider perspective is something that, that really, really is, is important. Not to go off on a tangent, but kind of off on a tangent. I feel like I got very comfortable after Black Panther came out in telling people like, mm, it wasn't for you, though. Like when they shared their opinions that were not warranted. I mean, it's really simple. Like it was not for you. It wasn't. Um, And so, yeah, I think there is a kind of conversation that's happening now. Like I appreciate every time I see an article that's like ways to talk about, for example, recently the Kanye uh, drama, uh, ways white allies, quote unquote, should talk and not talk about the Kanye issue. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy you brought that up. That is definitely something that is like a conversation to be had right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Well, do you have any closing advice or anything else you'd like to share or put out into the world? Um, I would say for students of color coming into graduate school, especially first-generation students in graduate school, students who are, or people like me who, you know, maybe you had a parent who went to college or maybe not, but they never went this far. Just, just know that you're not alone, that, that we are out there. And especially if you are feeling like you're depressed or you have any other mental health issues, like I have anxiety as well, especially with writing. Um, that's just one of my anxieties. You know, go see a mental health professional. Go find, go find your solace somewhere, some, uh, a place that you can breathe, you know, and do what you can. Because at the end of the day, graduate school isn't worth your life. It really isn't, you know. And if you don't get into that program that first time, look, it took me four years to get into a program. It will happen. And if it doesn't, like I said, it's not worth your life. This idea that academia is sort of our saving grace is a bullshit idea. Um, I know for some of us, we have to be here like an anthropology, but like I, I have to keep going back to it. it's not worth your life. Like it, it really isn't. Um, so if you feel like your life is sort of taking a backseat to it, maybe take a pause and find something different to do or, or find something where, where you feel like home that you can breathe and relax so that this doesn't consume you. Those are great parting words. I agree. Uh, 
That was beautiful. And I think our audience members will definitely enjoy that. This PhD is not your life. (laughs) So again, thank you for tuning in. Keisha, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. And we'll see you next time. If you're interested in being featured on the Ebony Tower, have topic ideas, or simply want to ask Ebony anything, visit our website, www.theebonytower.com or email us at info at theebonytower.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Ebony Tower. And please don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.